Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics with me, Steve Richards, the weekly podcast. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are in the UK and around the world. And later on, we will have questions from all over the place, Europe, the UK, of course, and brilliant questions too. I will be reflecting, if it's okay with all of you, on the latest phase of this epic drama. Who would have thought last week when... If you remember, I was kind of analysing Keir Starmer's New Year's speech as if it was a kind of bit of Shakespeare literature, forensically analysing the opening paragraphs. Who would have thought that Partygate would have erupted again in quite the way it has? Well, actually, probably quite a lot of us sense that this wasn't over. Anyway, I'll be giving my take on it for the first time because it hadn't happened last week. Then we'll come to your questions. Before that, a couple of notices. Oh, yeah. did it, Do any of you get the Radio Times? Uh, I don't, to be honest, although actually I know people who do. It's quite good, I think. Someone very kindly tweeted. It was uh, the Radio Times podcast uh, selection last week, Rock and Roll Politics. And they said some nice things about it. They said something very funny and incidentally untrue. In the review of it, they said, oh, yeah, the kind of people listening we all get worked up about what Jim Callahan should have done in 1978. Now, that's quite funny, but not true. I've never raised the question of what Jim Callahan should have done in 1978. But the more I think about it, it's quite a good question. Should he have called that early election? You know, the later echoes with Gordon Brown. Uh, yeah, I might well, Radio Times, return to that question. And I know everyone listening will be thrilled. But actually, what we do is focus on current dramas, but often put them in a kind of context, you know, because nothing happens by chance in politics. And there are always deep roots. But yeah, Radio Times readers will think, wow, to find out what Callahan should have done in 78, I'm tuning in. No, they've got other reasons to tune in. But anyway, it's given me ideas. Uh, yeah. And the other thing, of course, is uh, Monday, January the 24th, next Monday, I'm live at King's Place for a live show, which is also being streamed live. You can get tickets for the live event and the live stream, which is then available for another week, I think, uh, on the King's Place website. And it's going to be an epic night because I wonder whether that is the day the Sue Gray report is published. If not, it might have been published at the end of this week, in which case we will be exploring together the fallout and what happens. And if it's not on the Monday, by the Monday, it will be imminent in ways that will have the political temperature soaring at kind of new heights. That live show often takes place amidst moving, rolling dramas. I remember during Theresa May's phase as Prime Minister being on the stage as votes were taking place in the House of Commons over her various attempts to get Brexit through and the show had to change on the spot. So it could be one of those. If it's not one of those, as I say, the temperature will be very high. So do come along and we will sort things out together live that night or on the stream. And on the stream, you will be able to uh, put questions and vote on 
unreliable predictions. I've got a feeling I know what the prediction will be that night, but I'm not sure because it's all so fast moving. Anyway, that's on Monday night uh, and it's going to be epic and um, therefore the podcast won't be the same next week because we need to get together on the stream or live together in King's Place uh, and you can get the tickets on the website. But this is where we are now uh, and it will be different by next Monday. One of the many ironies of this dark saga is that Johnson himself doesn't like parties very much. I was always struck and sort of approved that during the Cameron Osborne era, especially in opposition, there were many late night gatherings in Notting Hill or in the Cotswolds. You know, Cameron Osborne getting the port and cigars out after a long dinner or parties in the Cotswolds, where Cameron also had his other house. Uh, He's got that shed there now as well, of course, but he, you know, Uh, and Rebecca Brooks were there and they were all partying and so on. Johnson really wasn't part of that. He's never been a great party-goer. He actually isn't a big drinker. He is this odd mix of uh, a great extrovert when on the stage and quite introverted when off it. I believe Dominic Cummings, who is an important, unreliable narrator in all of this, uh, when he said to uh, when Johnson said to Cummings in February of 2020, as the virus was heading towards the UK at the speed of sound, uh, I want to go off for a couple of weeks and write my book on Shakespeare. And he said, to Cummings, "I just love writing, and he likes writing and performing on a stage when people are at a safe distance. Partying, he's not bothered by, and yet his." Time in number 10 has been punctuated by raucous parties clearly going way beyond the lockdown rules. Why? And I think they are twofold, and it's not sexist to say this. It's an observation. It's not her fault. He's the one who makes the calls and sets the tone. But I think um, it's his new wife, Carrie, who is a great lover of parties, And she has brought in quite a few of her friends into number 10 of her age, who clearly also like nothing more than to party the night away and bring in the wine, you know, in suitcases and all the rest of it. And I think that too says a lot about him from a sort of, if you're trying to analyse him, you know, he doesn't really know people, including, I suspect, his new wife. Well, he is interested in legendary figures, which again are so safe to admire from a distance. He views Churchill with fascination, but the legendary view of Churchill, you know, the great man of destiny theory of history. He loves the great Greek heroes of mythological safety, um, who he writes about and reads, and, and Shakespeare, you know, again, at a very safe distance. People who he works with, who he lives with, I think much less so. And so that's, I think, one of the reasons why someone who doesn't like parties has hosted over so many parties in a way that has brought him to this low, dangerously low point in his leadership. Another is this. It is absolutely clear that Johnson hated 
the rules he very reluctantly and belatedly imposed at different phases of this pandemic. Um, There is that quote, which again, I believe it sort of rings true, uh, when Johnson told Cummings he would rather let the bodies pile high than impose further restraints. That was last year as the pandemic began to rage again after a sort of small summer lull. Uh, he was resistant to change. And do you remember he was going to be the one who saved Christmas that year uh, in 2020 uh, until he couldn't and didn't and was forced to impose these rules? But I, he's never kept to rules. One of the great images, I think, which sort of explain him was, do you remember, just at the start of the leadership contest that he won, not the one that might be happening in the coming months. Uh, There was that famous row he had with his then-girlfriend, Carrie, uh, which was reported by his neighbours to The Guardian. And one of the things the neighbours said was they were struck by Johnson's car parked outside uh, with the window full of parking fines. He hadn't even taken them off the window, let alone paid them. And I think that's a kind of interesting image. He's never kept to the rules and clearly didn't cross his mind to do so now. Any other prime minister, whether they thought it was right or wrong to have these parties, would have sat down and thought, what are the political consequences of this? What happens if one of these party goers, and remember a hundred was invited to the one in the garden, um, what would happen if one of them leaked it or one of them on a mobile phone took a photo of it as we were all as as happened in one of the other gatherings in number ten where he's sitting there having a drink with some others and Carrie and all the rest of it. But he, as we've reflected many times together on this podcast, can't do consequences. It is just the immediate instinct that drives him. And then later, when that instinct gets him into deep trouble, he tries to climb out of the hole. So, you know, Blair, um, people have often, it's it's a statement of the obvious. A, A Brown or Theresa May number 10 would not have had this drinking culture and rule breaking culture. And and nor actually would Cameron or Blair. And one of the things that a Cameron, well, certainly Blair would have done is he would have said, look, Alistair, you know, they want to have this do, a leaving do, you know. Uh, yeah, quite, yeah, I think it might be nice if they have a leaving do. They've worked so hard. And then, but then they would have thought through, well, hold on a second. Even if they went that far, which I don't think they would have done. Somebody would have said, Alistair Campbell, Jonathan Powell, said, well, hold on a second. What if that leaks? that we are carousing while other people are not being able to see relatives who are dying. And at that point, immediately, right, forget this whole damn thing, you know. Anyone with sharp, or not even sharp, but any political antennae of any sort would have stopped it at that point. But he he's interested in some things, you know. Um, He's genuinely interested in the arts. I was quite impressed at the height of, do you remember the Peppa Pig kind of furore? He's been through so many mad phases recently, you forget him. After his Peppa Pig speech, where people wondered whether he was cracking up, and in the midst of the whole outrageous attempt to change the rules governing standards and safety to protect a single Tory MP, 
who subsequently resigned anyway. Uh, he went off to watch Macbeth at the Almeida Theatre. Now, some people found this kind of shockingly complacent. I was kind of impressed that he has such an ability to cocoon himself, but such an appetite for theatre. He's a big reader. So, you know, it, it, he, he is not wholly childlike in his immorality and follower of crude, hedonistic instincts, but a lot of him is that. What is so fascinating about this clunky fight back is it's wholly unconvincing in the sense that, you know, one of the lines which had been pumped out in recent days from ministers and some backbenchers is he has got to change, he will change, number 10 will change and so on. He cannot change. He is a figure who has been who he is throughout his life. And that's why I think ultimately, even if he gets through this period, he is doomed, uh, partly because voters have seen through him. It's so interesting, isn't it? What um, voters see. They didn't see the calamitous Brexit, that deal he negotiated, which was worse than Theresa May's deal, but was hailed as a great triumph. They chose to see as a great triumph, even though that word again, consequences are being played out in front of our eyes, their eyes. They didn't choose to see it. And there have been many other examples of that. It's fascinating, isn't it? That ministers are now saying, look, you know, he, he's admitted he's made a mistake over this. But look at his judgments throughout the pandemic and how brilliant they have been. No, they have not been. And, you know, uh, the public inquiry when it comes in 50 years time will show that to be the case. But already we've had reports from the select committees uh, describing the early phase of this pandemic and the government's response as calamitous, basically. He can't change and won't change. And therefore, at some point, if this doesn't get him, something will. I have no idea whether he will get through this. We might have a clearer idea when we gather live at King's Place next Monday night. I am conditioned to assume prime ministers last longer than we think they will do so, having written that book on the prime ministers we never had, because one of the reasons the big figures who might have been prime minister and didn't get it, uh, failed, was that prime ministers endure much longer than we assume they were going to. You know, I've, I've mentioned on here before, Harold Wilson, under pressure from the late 60s, remained prime minister until 1976. Major, under pressure from 1972, uh, no, I'm going on about 1992, remained for another five years and so on. Yeah, so sorry, I just paused for a second because my bloody phone was uh, getting text after text. So it's now on silence, so you won't be disturbed again. Uh, one text was from Boris Johnson, another was from Dominic Cummings. No, no. But by the way, keep an eye out for Cummings. He, he's clearly part of the orchestration of um, the attempts to bring Johnson down. And the assumption uh, at Westminster is that there will be more. And certainly when Johnson had a conversation with the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, Douglas Ross, who's called for him to go, Ross said, look, will there be any more? And Johnson couldn't assure him that there wouldn't be. And one of the odd uh, 
febrile elements of the mood in number 10 is this sense that there is a group, some in, some out of number 10, but who were in for a time, uh, aren't going to stop until Johnson falls. So there is this, uh, as well as all the other pressures, a kind of extreme neurosis at about seven o'clock each evening um, when the following day's newspapers reveal what they've got. And so that you can imagine Saturday night, what have the Sundays got? Have the Sundays got anything? The, the Sundays didn't have very much. Uh, and so number 10, to some extent, had the stage with their various briefings that uh, Johnson was going to reconfigure his number 10, that officials would get the blame, some advisors would get the blame. He's going to pledge not to have a drinks allowed into number 10. It's great red herring, all of that. He is the one who uh, allowed this culture to develop. Uh, no one else, uh, even though, as I say, the great irony is he's not actually a big boozer or party goer. Um, and then there was the briefings to the Mail on Sunday and others about the policy agenda he was going to develop to save himself, uh, attacking the BBC. It's all so pathetic. Rehashing a further attempt to, in inverted commas, protect the borders, bring in, bring in the army, bring in the army, um, and all this stuff. But here is the twist. Uh, Tory MPs won't necessarily fall for any of it. In their own minds, they are clear, as any human being would be clear, what happened. We don't need Sue Gray to tell us. We know. Um, and yet, it is a very big thing to bring down a prime minister. And remember, this new parliamentary party is stuffed full of... Uh, MPs who didn't expect to win, you know, in the red wall seats, and are still very inexperienced politicians. They spent their first year as an MP away from the Commons because of the pandemic. It's all new to them. And for one of their first acts to write a letter of no confidence in a Prime Minister who won the election two years ago is a big move. And a lot of them aren't there yet. They might become so, um, but they are not there at this point. I do know a couple of people who have sent in the letters. They don't, they, I knew about it before Christmas, uh, before all the latest revelations. And uh, I, they are from the older generation, not this new lot. So anyway, uh, we will have to wait and see. But there's no doubt uh, for Starmer the best outcome would be Johnson continuing. Uh, there will be lots of cliches about don't write Johnson off, he's got out of every scrape and so on, and there will be a bit of that if he survives this, uh, and that he's the great campaigner. But this will not be easily forgotten. It is vivid and accessible to every voter. Whereas if, say, uh, Sunak were to become prime minister within the next couple of months because he has a tonal plausibility there will he will get a honeymoon and that will be a new challenge for Starmer a, a, a challenge incidentally that could be easily met I don't think Sunak is a great political titan by any means but it will be different a wounded Johnson backed up by a parliamentary party who knows what he's now like in a way that if they didn't before, but and none of this is surprising if you know what he's like, um, uh, 
that is a kind of gift, I think, for Keir Starmer, who's getting more self-confident, and self-confidence feeds on itself. Anyway, as I speak and as you listen, I assume we won't know for sure. And that, of course, is often the case in politics and is the great appeal of politics is that no one never knows for sure what's going to happen next. And now, dun, 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 I'm going to get your questions out, and um, they are brilliant. And of course, as you can imagine, a lot of questions are about this drama, but different angles. I mean, this drama, frankly, I could do eight podcasts taking a different angle, um, but some of them will arise in the questions. So we go to Berlin, first of all, with uh, Joe Ruffles, our one of our regular Berlin correspondents. Uh, and Joe, Joe, I think it was you, Joe, wasn't it, who flew from Berlin to the live show in Barnard Castle. I wish I'd met you that night. Anyway, Joe, uh, I send you greetings from a dull and grey Berlin. Well, actually, Joe, it's been really sunny in London recently. Uh, so you're in the might be in the wrong place for once. Uh, politics, of course, aren't dull right now, quite. Uh, I have a question for you that cuts across both personalities and policies. Reminds me of Tony Benjo. Do you remember? He used to say, it's nothing to do with personalities. It's the policies, the issues. Anyway, uh, what are the chances for the government's current agenda if Johnson goes quickly? There are many consequential bills currently making their way through Parliament. And I wonder if a trust Sunak Hunt or Lee Rowley, da -da -da. government would continue them or perhaps steer a more moderate course. I'm thinking of things like the Nationality and Borders Bill. Yeah, God, that bill. And the Red Meat Agenda announced today, ending the BBC licence fee, will survive. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, there will be a, a reset if anyone else gets it as part of the honeymoon, and they will need to show that they are a different kind of government. However, to win a Tory leadership contest, you have to pitch to the right. Uh, think of levels of rightness and you have to go to the far end um, to win a Tory leadership contest. Uh, this parliamentary party is very right-wing on the whole, and its members are to the right of the parliamentary party. So I think the space to reconfigure significantly won't be there. But what will happen is there will be a tonal change and a focus on standards in government and integrity and so on. Uh, Joe adds, I usually listen to the podcast while chopping and stirring things to make dinner. Ah, right. Uh, your d dinner sound, you know, epic. Or sometimes while traveling. But this week, depending on when the podcast drops, I may take it to listen to at the dentist. My God, this is a, getting a horrifying image. I have a long, tedious procedure to get through. And the dentist told me that I could bring something to listen to. Given the events of the past week, maybe it'll be a suitable distraction. Well, I hope, I hope you know, if it's it's not all too painful, um, perhaps tell the dentist to listen as well and you can talk about politics to take things off your mind. Anyway, thank you for that. Uh, we, we sort of stay in Germany. This is from uh, uh, Dr. Mark Harper, the consultant anaesthetist in Christian Sand and Brighton. What a double location. Um, and he, he 
sends in a quote from uh, one of the German newspapers. Boris Johnson doesn't govern. He plays at being prime minister. Yeah, it is uh, It is alarming. I, I've kind of read, I don't know whether you have, Mark, um, some of the articles in some of the United States newspapers about Britain at the moment. And I can tell you, he... You know this thing, the Matthew Paris theory, everything Johnson touches, he trashes. Well, he's trashing the UK and the way it's being perceived at the moment. Uh, so there it is in Germany being read by German papers. He doesn't govern. He plays at being prime minister. Um, anyway, oh, yeah, Mark says he's still in Norway for the moment. I don't bake bread while listening, but do at other times. I have to import from the UK to Norway, but every supermarket has fresh yeast, which makes for a softer crumb. Well, for those of you baking bread while listening, and there are a lot of you, it's sort of like John Lennon in the mid-70s, a lot of our bread baking habits. Um, there you go, the softer crumb. Uh, get fresh yeast. Uh, thank you very oh yeah guess what mark's writing a book about the benefits of cold water swimming can you let me know about that mark i i kind of swim outdoors until november and start again in march but i'd like to be reassured there are benefits anyway because <laughs> you're freezing all bloody day uh thank you very much uh caroline morgan I wonder how much of this Boris Johnson can take and also whether it's actually any fun for him anymore. Is the price just too high for him? No, I don't think so. I think he's out to last the course. He will hate this, not because he's bothered about the implications for standards in government and so on. But he has got a sense of history. As I say, it's a romanticised sense. Churchill, the great leader of destiny. And he, he sees himself every now and again in that category and he will hate the idea of being kicked out amidst scandal um, after a very short time as prime minister uh, so that's what will torment him but that means he's going to fight to stay Caroline not say let's get out get out I'll go back to the after dinner circuit telegraph um, earning lots of money interestingly he needs lots of money because of the chaos of his life but he's not that bigger spender himself. I mean, he is, but it's to sort of finance the chaos, uh, the various mothers scattered around, etc., and children. Um, Ed Francis. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Ed, the avid University of York alumni listener writing in. When and how do you think the popular myth that governments operate like households or small businesses and thus can only spend pounds they first receive through tax will be exploded once and for all? Yeah, it's one of these great silly equations. It began with Margaret Thatcher. Um, My father in Grantham in his shop never spent more than he earned and a country can't spend more than it earns. It's ridiculous because governments can print money, as uh, Ed points out amongst many other things. But it sounds logical. And Labour have never found a way of dealing with this effectively. So when uh, George Osborne was pledged to balance the books and all that kind of thing, um, the, the Ed Balls and Ed Miliband really struggled to say, actually, the way of addressing the deficit is to, in some cases, borrow more. Um, etc etc so it's when I don't know it's rubbish but it is potent rubbish which still plays out uh, thank you very much Ed uh, from Buxton 
Uh, Phil, oh yeah, listening when wandering around a wintry Buxton. What a romantic image that is. Um, I can't be alone, Buxton Phil writes. I can't be alone in being disappointed that it appears to be happening, the Johnson demise, if it is a demise, not because MPs and the public have realised he's totally unsuitable for the role, uh, but because there have been a few parties in number 10. It feels a bit like Al Capone getting his comeuppance due to tax evasion rather than his vast criminal enterprise. Well, as I said earlier, Phil, it, it, it is perverse, really. I mean, it, it, it is a big uh, scandal. Uh, some aren't. This is. Breaking rules that were imposed on everybody else is a big story. But I agree with you, you know, the the policy... The chaotic policy agenda. I mean, I've mentioned Brexit many times, uh, but another example is the tax rise coming in in April is meant to be the answer at last to the social care crisis. But it's actually being spent on the NHS. So there's sort of chaos in all kinds of areas, but it is this that gets him. Up until now, of course, he was famously ahead in the polls. Whatever happened, it's all very odd. Oh, we're going back to Berlin. A lot of Berlin emails. Charlotte Lindenberg writes, oh, she says she's a devotee. Oh, thank you very much, Charlotte. I like devotees. Um, yeah, uh, I apparently wrote, oh, yeah, in the book on prime ministers we never had, I, there was a chapter on Jeremy Corbyn. And I said he showed uh, no signs of being burdened by personal ambition. That is, I think I know... We often debate Corbyn on here, but I think you'll all agree he didn't show any signs of being personally ambitious. He was a backbench MP for decades. But she contrasts that with a quote by Johnson, which I haven't read before, uh, in a book uh, with quotes from Johnson. I'm a bit of an optimist, so it doesn't tend to occur to me to resign. Now, that was a quote from some time ago, and a very interesting one, because I think that partly explains his absolute determination to fight on. Uh, I'm a bit of an optimist, so it doesn't tend to occur to me to resign. Uh, He will be terrified of the idea of resigning over this and will try and get away with it. And his optimism is based on the fact that he's got away with so much in the past in many different aspects of his life. Uh, Thank you very much, Charlotte. Uh, Connor Jones, Labour seems to have chosen to send more junior figures to attack the Tories over the whole party scandal. Jess Phillips, Pat McFadden, Emily Thornbury and Angela Rayner doing more interviews than uh, Reeves, Lammy or Cooper. Uh, Why, uh, Connor wonders? Well, actually, they are all good performers. Angela Rayner is very senior deputy leader. Uh, You know, they might not always get on well, the leader and deputy leader, but that's... That's her position. Um, and I think Yvette Cooper is still, they, they're planning to use her a heck of a lot in the coming, they're going to do a load of crime stuff. And obviously she'll be leading on that with Starmer. Uh, Lammy has got the foreign affairs brief. Um, and Rachel Reeves, I have heard her a bit on it. But I mean, again, they're saving her for the economy. They use a lot of Wes Streeting at the moment. Wes Streeting is the media star as they see it. And he is out and about 
most days. And the media have decided he's a brilliant media performer. So once that decision is made, uh, it will be the Wes Streeting show quite often. You're in Keir Starmer's office and say, send for Wes. And he'll be there doing quite a lot as well. Uh, but the others are are pretty good. And say Angela Rayner is is senior. OK, uh, Jeff Strange writes, uh, tickets booked for the next King's Place. I'll see you there, Jeff, and in other places too, perhaps. Uh, um, his question uh, is, does the Conservative Party uh, really mean uh, it, it when they say they are committed to the union? He mentions old Rhys Mogg throwing a spanner in the works um, and uh, – Boris Johnson being uninvited to the Scottish Tory party conference in March. Jeff, I think you highlight one of the many consequences of this drama. I mean, first of all, (laughs) to send Jacob Rees-Mogg out to calm the waters last week shows in itself um, the lack of cabinet media stars. I mean, Rees-Mogg politely inserts uh, uh, blades wherever he goes. I, I always remember during when he was a backbench rebel in the Theresa May era, um, he once stood up when she was making a statement on one of her attempted Brexit deals. He said, could I say that uh, I really respect the Prime Minister for being in the House of Commons for what must be two hours now? It really is admirable. Her deal is appalling, and will she resign? It was, you, you know, anyway, it's along those lines. And there he was, absolutely causing mayhem with the Scottish Conservative Party by describing its leader as a lightweight. And uh, it is interesting that the Scottish leader felt he could speak in that way, having thought through what would happen, and he clearly thought it would help his cause in Scotland by saying Johnson should go. So things are really precarious uh, while Johnson and his uh, entourage, Rhys Mogg and co, speak in those terms. It's a gift to Nicola Sturgeon. I saw her the next day saying, you know, and she normally attacks the leader of the Scottish Tory party, but, you know, she was saying, how dare Rhys Mogg speak like this? It shows that we need independence because they treat us like stuff on our shoes. And anyway, um, uh, yeah, I, I know this is one of your themes, uh, uh, Jeff, and um, I, I think you, you rightly focus on it. Okay, um, next one is from uh, John McIntosh uh, uh, near Macclesfield in uh, Cheshire. Uh, he says, oh, second time writer. Oh, sorry, I didn't read your last one out, apparently. Um, I don't make bread while listening. There's a lot of bread in today's podcasts, um, which is great as far as I'm concerned, um, while listening. But I do enjoy listening over breakfast while eating outstanding sourdough home delivered from the amazing Mill Bakehouse in Bollington, Cheshire, on the edge of the Peak District. Oh, yeah, you can order it there, apparently. Um, and get it. Um, well, there's a thought for those. I think actually, Jeff, the previous emailer, he, he was a big Saudo fan at the start of the uh, pandemic. Right. Well, I hope you're enjoying that now as you're, you're listening to your question. Um, you had a listener question about family connections across the aisle, referencing Gateskill and Rab Butler. Yeah, that was an interesting. I hadn't realized there were family connections between those two. 
The one thing that came to mind was a strong connection between two spouses of major figures across the aisle during the 2010-2015 Parliament, Justine Miliband, wife of Ed, and Frances Osborne, then wife of George. I recall hearing one of them talk about the other very affectionately. Uh, yeah, they used to go on holiday together, uh, those two. Um, it's very a very unlikely sort of pairing. Um, although Frances Osborne, I think, is not tribal Tory, although her, uh, you know, uh, father was a, a Tory cabinet minister. David Howell, yeah, as you point out. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think he found it uncomfortable uh, because I think it was... Uh, I think it was a kind of late teenage, early 20s sort of friendship when they used to go on holiday together. So I think Ed Miliband and George Osborne could cope with that kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, is there a way, John wonders, uh, to catch up with the King's Place gig uh, rather than watch it on the live stream? Uh, yeah, it it will be available for about a week, John. If you if you get hold of a stream ticket, uh, you can watch it back at any point over a glass of wine or some of that sourdough bread. Okay, uh, some more. Mark Holstock and Jane. Uh, there are some. There is some comment about British parties, particularly Labour Lib Dem, avoiding the question of rejoining the European Union. My question is: Would the EU want us back? I don't think that they would have us back as members. Remember, it only needs one of the 27 to veto us rejoining. I think we might be allowed to come back into the single market and customs union, but it will come at a price. Europe will insist on freedom of movement and might insist on us joining the euro. All those factors could come into play. Could you imagine, you know, if Keir Starmer or somebody finally was bold enough to say the only way of dealing with with Brexit is to rejoin. It caused the biggest storm in all the stormy turbulence of British politics for the EU to turn around and say, well, actually, we don't want you back, um, which could happen. And you're right, there could be new barriers. Um, and the whole thing is fraught with um, problems of which, um, yeah, freedom of movement would unquestionably be, be on the table uh, if we went back into the single market and customs union. You would then have to put the case for the advantages of freedom of movement. And here we go all over again. Mark says he and I worked together at Radio Newcastle um, in the, what was it, the late 80s, Mark, mid-80s? Uh, I remember when your first baby was born, a cigar we provided, which you partook of. I can't remember that, Mark, uh, that cigar. I can remember my first baby being born. Um, but yeah, what a what a generous thing for Radio Newcastle to do. OK, thank you. Uh, Jim Taylor, my question is to what extent uh, Johnson's departure, if it happens, would lead to any meaningful change in the direction of government? Yeah, well, this has um, been a theme already. Uh, and there will be tonal changes. But I think it's quite hard to win a Tory leadership contest uh, by moving it away from the right. Indeed, I think it would move further to the right. But I will reflect more on that if we get to that point where there is a contest. I, you see, Johnson, in many ways, is not a figure of the right. He's an English nationalist, uh, which is dangerous. Uh, but in other he's a big spender and happy to intervene in government. He, he's a tax cutter as well. He's all over the place. But the others are more rooted on the right than he is. Um, 
Oh, yeah, John Bowdler. Boldler, sorry, uh, John Boldler from East Peckham. He, he puts a good question. What does it mean? Do you, you know when Johnson at PMQ said uh, uh, implicitly it was within the rules what he did? What does it mean to implicitly think, John wonders? For example, if I think Boris Johnson is a tosser, am I implicitly thinking? Well, that's interesting, John. You could go around and say, I think actually he's implicitly a tosser. Um, Yeah, that word implicitly is doing a lot of work in the Johnson uh, defence. Let's have uh, one more. And I promise you, the others I'm going to read out. Yeah, there's loads, loads and loads and loads. Um, And I will read them out either live at King's Place or uh, in the the, the following podcast. Uh, Let's go to uh, Jordan Fleming. Uh, oh, yeah, Jordan, he, he's always out and about. And he's currently in the Polish ski rip, resort town of Zakopane, Zakopane. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, Jordan. Uh, oh, he's finishing the book on the prime ministers we never had. Oh, thank you. I, I, I think you asked for a signed copy. But I didn't quite get to sending it to Poland. Sorry. I think everyone else has got their stickers now. Uh, what a week in politics. I've always quite liked Keir Starmer. Um, but and I think this week he's been spot on. One thing, that, as in last week, one thing that has occurred to me is that he really seemed to have picked a good moment to finally call for the prime minister to resign. I think it makes even more of an impact specifically because he hasn't been crying wolf all the time and doing so at the drop of a hat. Like building up a case, he's let the crescendo build and is now stepping on the gas. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, Jordan, that, you know, in many ways, he got a lot of criticism. Do you remember when, you know, the whole Cummings uh, going to test his eyesight in Barn Castle? Everyone was screaming for Cummings to go. Starmer didn't. And he was too loyally, actually. You know, he came up, his line was, if I was leader and he was my advisor, I would would sack him. But he didn't overtly call for Boris Johnson to do so. Now, that presented problems, but it then became highly effective when this lawyer who has been so cautious called for it. And I think Johnson himself looked a bit taken aback. Johnson doesn't like being told off even by a political opponent. Uh, he avoids confrontation and scrutiny, uh, but he can't escape Prime Minister's question. So I agree, it, uh, it was effective and and felt almost surprising when he did it, even though if he wasn't going to do it over this, when was he ever going to uh, do it? I'm going to do one more because this is quite interesting. And a first-time emailer, Keith Jeffrey. Uh, in 2015... Uh, voters elected Cameron and ended up with Theresa May without having a vote. In 2017, people elect Theresa May and end up with Boris Johnson initially without a vote. Of course, they did in the end with the December election. In 2019, people elect Johnson and end up with Sunak Truss, some other nutcase. Is and 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 the exclusion of the electorate is this a significant theme now this is a great topic actually and a good question because one of the factors of being currently uh close to a sort of one party state or england's tendency to just elect one party we're now remembering the fourth term of a conservative government um is that if that governing party is unstable 
And there's no doubt that the Conservative governing party is, uh, it still hasn't actually got over the fall of Margaret Thatcher. It can't decide whether it it should be Thatcherite, even more Thatcherite, or much less Thatcherite. It still doesn't know why it got rid of Thatcher. Um, in terms of did they get rid of her because she had gone crazy, uh, but was on the right course? Was the right was it not the right course? Was it you know all those questions are still being played out, and as a result, the uh, fall of endless prime ministers is a kind of symptom of a much deeper turbulence within this governing party. But that does mean that Conservative Party members alone. Uh, have huge power, because you're right, they could be about to select a third prime minister. And um, not that they did with Theresa May, it was just the Tory MPs. But again, the, the rest of us were all excluded. And I think there will come a point when voters say, well, hold on a minute. Um, you know, I know we all tend to vote for you. I know we didn't see Johnson's faults until now and so on. But what about us lot having some input rather than prime ministers with all their power and all their powers of patronage being selected by, what is it, two, a few hundred thousand people, average age, kind of 200. Um, and yeah, I think that could be a theme and it could be one of the things that helps Johnson battle it on. It gets a bit embarrassing when you keep on having to remove the prime ministers that you've selected to lead us all. Anyway, I think we better stop there uh, because it's a busy week for all of us. And some of you clearly are baking bread or eating bread. and uh, No running this week. No one's saying they're listening while running. But I know a lot of you do. Uh, Yeah, well, it's going to be whatever happens huge this week, uh, the sense of drama. And none of us know for sure what's going to happen. But just a reminder. Do tune in next uh, Monday night on the live stream or hopefully many of you will be able to get to King's Place and we will have some fun as well as dissect uh, the drama as it's probably played out that day and evening. And yeah, what what should Jim Callahan have done in 1978? That is really the thing that should focus our minds this week or some week when it's a bit quieter. Anyway, look, thank you for your questions. I know there are loads more, and I've made a note of where I've got up to with questions, and I will come back to them. Keep them coming in as well. You know the address. I now know it off by heart. steverick14 at iCloud.com. steverick14 at iCloud.com. Thanks so much for listening. Take a deep breath. It's going to be a big week. And see you all, hopefully, at King's Place next Monday night. Thank you.